Good evening. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, where we left off last week. It'll be Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. Now, as we get into this chapter, keep in mind, most nights we've been doing two chapters. But this evening, because it's the kickoff for Calvary Kids, we're only going to do one. We're going to take the time to look at this chapter, chapter 22. And as we do, we're going to see that we need to see things as they really are. I think this is one of the big problems we have in our world today. We don't see things as they really are. We're deceived into believing things are different than they actually are. The media does a good job to spin things in the direction they want them to appear, and the world goes and does its best to try to deceive us into believing we're missing out on things, or we should be doing things differently, or maybe living our lives in a different way. But the Bible gives us that crystal clear vision. It helps us to understand and to see exactly how God wants us to live, and then the Holy Spirit gives us the power to live according to his word. Amen? Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us this evening as we get into the word. Lord, Heavenly Father, we approach your throne of grace asking that we would not just learn these truths, but that we would apply these truths to our lives. Help us to look into your word and to receive something in this chapter, each and every one of us, something very personal, very helpful, very practical in an area of our life that maybe we're struggling with or an area that we we possibly just need to hear from you on. And Lord, we always love to hear from you as you speak to us through your word. So we pray that you would, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's look at the first proverb in verse 1 of chapter 22. A good name is more desirable than great riches, and to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Now here's the contrast, because most people want to be rich. I don't think anyone gets up and says they want to be poor, but some people truly want to be rich. They want to be wealthy. They want to be prosperous. They want to be successful. Now let me say this. Why? Because there's nothing wrong with wanting to be successful and prosperous. It's a good thing. But why do you want that? In this little proverb, we see that some people, it's sort of implied that some people desire to be rich or to have great riches or have silver and gold so that they can have a good name. And you see, the problem is riches don't make you a good person. If you are a good person, wealthy or poor, you're a good person. You have a good name, a good reputation. But there are many people that aren't as concerned with what people think of them as so much their character, but really whether people envy them or not. Many people want to be rich so that everyone will see them and say, oh, I wish I was like him or her. I mean, don't tell me, and I'm sorry if I'm going to offend somebody, but don't tell me you go out and buy a really expensive sports car that sounds like this. Unless, of course, you want people to notice you. I could be in my house in the basement working on something and sports car goes by. I'm like, what in the world? 
I was actually speaking with someone over at the dojo the other day, and uh, he had just traded in a white vet for a black vet. And um, I guess black vets matter. It's supposed to be funny. Anyway, all I know is that as it relates to these cars, they're really expensive, right? And I guess I asked the question, what was wrong with the white one? And he literally told me I didn't like the way it sounded. I said, what, was it too loud? No, no, it wasn't loud enough. And I'm not trying to pick on the guy, but as I thought about this proverb, I thought about that conversation on Monday night, and I thought to myself, you know something? There are a lot of people who want to be known for what they have, their wealth, their success, their prosperity. If that's why you want to be rich, think again. I would suggest that that's not a good reason. Now, if you want to be prosperous and successful because you want to build a good business, you want to employ a lot of people, you want to do well, you want to take care of your family, extended and within your own household, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to be able to afford a nice place to live and, and wear nice clothes, there's nothing wrong with those things. I think sometimes we take one extreme or the other in Christianity and we think, well, you know, it's no good to be rich. But it's not good to be poor either, isn't it? So what is this riches all about? If your reason for being successful and prosperous and rich is because you, you want to do good things for those that you love and enjoy life, God bless you. If God gives you that blessing, it's a blessing in God's word. But if those riches, as the scripture teaches us, pierce you through with many sorrows and griefs, I think about what I read in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, Godliness, in verse 6 of chapter 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And and that should be true for even the richest of us. We should be content with food and clothing. But notice, here's the danger. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish, harmful, foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So you see, the want of money for the wrong reasons corrupts you because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So I've spent a little time on this proverb because I want you to see how important a reputation is and that it is more important than whether or not you're successful, rich, and wealthy. So a good name or your character, a good reputation is more desirable than these things. Esteem is what we should strive for. And I have never esteemed anyone in life just because they're rich. There's a lot more to life and certainly to character than that. Amen? Notice it says this in verse 2 to follow up on that. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. You are made in the image of God. Poor, rich, wealthy, prosperous, successful. You're made in the image of God. Your intrinsic value as a human being is not heightened or lowered on the basis of your checkbook. You are just as valuable to God and just as valuable in this world as the person who has a lot or the person who has a little. Because God has made us all. Verse 3, a prudent man 
That's a wise man. A prudent man sees danger and he takes refuge. But the simple keep going and suffer for it. Now think about this. If you see danger, now we don't always see danger. Sometimes I'm outside in my yard and I, the wind is blowing and I'm training outside and I hear the branches and I think, you know, I wouldn't know that that branch was on its way down unless it snapped. I don't think I'd hear it. And if it came down, I wouldn't know till it hit me, right? Sometimes you, you, you can't walk around like this all day. So sometimes danger happens. But if you see it, if you know that that's going to happen, maybe, maybe don't train under a tree or don't stand under a tree in a lightning storm. I often think about people who are out when lightning strikes. There are very few things I'm terrified of in this world. I think it's fair to say lightning rhymes with frightening for a reason. It is a healthy fear. It is a legit fear. So if you know a storm is coming in and you see the danger of it, and you hang out, you're golfing, I guess, or you're doing something. I don't golf, but maybe you were golfing, or you're out washing your car, or you're outside, and you hear thunder, probably a good idea to get inside, right? That's what a prudent man does. Now, you can apply that to every area of life. Any danger that comes your way, if you see it, take refuge. This, this applies financially, too. A lot of us see the dangers of where our economy is going. Have you taken refuge? That is, are you saving? You know, have you made safe investments or you're risking it all? You know, taking refuge means you see something potentially harmful and you prepare for it. That's simply what a wise person will do. And the Bible teaches us to do so. I've heard people of faith say, well, I don't worry about anything because, you know, the Bible says, you know, like the birds, I don't have to worry about these things. Yeah, but wait a minute. God has given you wisdom. And if you see danger, you should prepare for it. I, I don't, I don't. I don't fall on that side of faith is the answer to being uh, unprepared. I, I, I don't think that that is true. I think faith, if exercised, provides wisdom that we employ in our lives to the blessings of all those that do. Amen? Verse 4. Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Now, why is this important? You see, these are all connected here in this section. Humility, it's to know who you are before God and not think too highly of yourself. As it goes back to verse 2, rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is maker of them all. We know who we are. We're no better than anyone else. And so because we know that about ourselves, we're humble. We're humble before God. We're humble before others. And notice the fear of the reverence of the Lord, it, humility and the fear of the Lord bring. There's the equation, equals, brings wealth, honor, and life. Now, why is that? How does it work? Well, I don't know precisely how it works, but I know this. If you live the way you're supposed to live before man and before God, there's certainly a much better chance of you being wealthy, and not through ill-gotten gain, but being wealthy and receiving honor from others and living a long life. There's certainly a better chance than if you steal everything you have and cheat and lie and I think that that is maybe a bit of a generalization, but certainly I think it's true. Does it mean you're going to be super wealthy just because you honor God and you're humble? No, but I think we've got to get back to godliness with contentment is a great gain. I consider myself very wealthy. If I measure myself against the majority of the world, I am extremely wealthy. And so are you. Now, there are the mega wealthy. There are people that were, are worth tens of billions of dollars. But they're not any more valuable than you or me. And it doesn't mean that they have a good reputation. Many times the opposite is true. 
So put things in perspective. And that's why I say we need to see things as they really are. We need to see people as they really are. If you see someone laying in the street and they don't have anything, they're just as valuable as you are. Don't look down on that person just because they don't have something that you have. But then again, don't look at the super rich person and say they're better than you because they're not. They're not. So this is the running theme here so far. Notice in verse 5, In the paths of the wicked lie thorns and snares, but he who guards his soul stays far from them. Nobody wants thorns and snares. Snares would be traps that you set for animals. Typically a snare was a a trap for a, a bird. And uh, you would put the the trap in such a way that the bird would trigger the trap and you would catch the bird and then you would have your dinner. But notice, snares but also thorns. Now it's one of those ironies of life, I suppose, that, you know, roses are beautiful but they have thorns, right? The thing about thorns is nobody likes thorns. Does anyone like thorns? Jesus wore a crown of thorns. I, I, I know that describes a torturous experience that he received from those that beat him. But thorns and thistles are the result of the curse of sin. We'll see that when, on Sunday mornings when we get to that, actually this Sunday. So thorns are, are not a thing that's pleasant. That's the idea. So snares, thorns, not good. That's in the path of the wicked. As you go down the wicked path, the broad road that leads to destruction, that's what you will encounter. And notice, but if you guard your soul, that is, you do the right things, you you avoid evil, notice it says if you guard your soul, you'll stay far from them. He who guards his soul stays far from them. I want to stay as far from traps and snares and thorns as I can. How can I do that? Guard my soul. Guard my heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, the psalmist declares in Psalm 119. So we're doing the right thing tonight. We're in God's word. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, here we go. This is a very well-known proverb in the book of Proverbs. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, what this is not is a guarantee and a promise that if you do everything right, your children will as well. Because, by the way, you don't do everything right, parents. And, by the way, even if you do, your children's still going to make mistakes. So let's get out of that way of thinking that this is somehow like a magic spell. Abracadabra, hocus pocus, alakazam. You teach them the right thing to do, and somehow they just do it. Has anyone ever experienced that in any type of of relationship anywhere at any time. Parents, have you ever just looked at your kids and say, my kids, I'm such, I trained them the way to go and, and, and they just do it. No, of course, it's not going to happen because that's not what this proverb says. I have heard people explain it this way, and there's some truth to this as well, that as you train a child in the way he should go, notice it says should, that when he's old, he won't turn from it means that he'll never be able to forget what he should do, even if he doesn't do it. There may be some truth to that. There may be. But I think the the appropriate application is this. The job of a parent or a guardian is to train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. Probably means that he's going to make mistakes all along the way. That child's probably going to turn from it along the way. But then when they get older and mature, ultimately... 
they'll make better choices. I, I kind of believe that that's what we're being told here. It's not a guarantee to parents that things are always going to work out. It's an encouragement to keep doing what you're supposed to do. Keep training them in the way they should go. They're not going to get it day one, day two, year five, year ten. They may be 60 years old when they start to apply some of the lessons you've taught them. Or unfortunately, maybe never at all. It doesn't invalidate the truth of God's word. But the truth is still the same. Parents are responsible to train their children in the way they should go. And that those who have been trained properly, as they get older, more mature will not turn from it. Well, they'll probably make a lot of mistakes, but ultimately, it's an encouragement to know if you do what you're supposed to do, they at least have the opportunity of making the right choice. Don't do what you're supposed to do and you have taken away from them much because they may or may, they may not, given your influence or lack of it, may never do the right thing. So do the right thing. Hopefully that helps you understand that proverb. I've heard that quoted as sort of like a, carte blanche promise that somehow your kids are going to just all be Christians just because you want them to be. That's not what it says. Okay, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, this is interesting. How do the rich rule over the poor? Well, in the ancient culture, that's exactly how they, they ruled over. Because the poor didn't have anything, they would borrow against their crops or borrow against their business, uh, and they would have to pay it back and hope to hopefully turn a profit, but they needed the seed money in order to, to buy seed, literally. They needed the money to be able to start their businesses, grow their businesses, survive, and the idea is that they would borrow and then pay back and hopefully be able to turn a profit. Now, we do this today. Many people do this when they have a startup business. Many people do this. Investments, many people do it, of course. But as a consequence, those that have money tend to rule over those that don't. This is true, especially even today. And notice it says, the borrower is servant to the lender. So if you don't want to serve someone else, what would you not do? Borrow. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. That's from Hamlet. So if you understand how to live on what you have, you will never have to serve someone wealthier than you. I think a lot of people have learned to serve MasterCard and Visa, which are just companies that are fronted, you know, the front of a bank. Really, you're serving the bank. And as you pay them interest, they get richer. You know, I don't know what the interest rates are up to now, but I think they're well over 23, 24% on credit card balances. Can you, I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. I highly recommend... Some cards are probably much higher, right? I can't even imagine having it every month pay that bill. And if you're in that situation, uh, well, remember this proverb and use it as motivation to pay off your debts. That's what I would say. Verse 8, he who sows wickedness reaps trouble and the rod of his fury will be destroyed. So this is a person who's wicked, is angry, the rod of his fury, well, this talks about his strength, but it also talks about the wicked things that this person might do. But notice, all of that wickedness, all that bad stuff, it reaps trouble. The way if you put a seed in the ground, you can reap grain. All of that wickedness reaps trouble and destruction. Verse 9, 
I like this one. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Now, generosity is a wonderful, wonderful character trait, isn't it? Generous people, I mean, we all like generous people. Did anyone ever say, oh, I don't like generous people? Especially if you're on the receiving end. Some people are very, very generous, and some people are stingy. And I think we'll get to the stingy man, uh, maybe not this week, maybe next, but... uh, when we get there, you'll see that you don't want to be known as the stingy person, but a generous person, notice, a generous person will himself be blessed. Now, why is that? Because the Bible teaches us it's more blessed to what? To give than to receive. What does that mean? Well, we know that as we give, God gives to us. He blesses us. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I can, I can tell you In my life, once I started being generous and giving, not just to the church, but to ministries and to others, I had not only all that I needed, but more. And as a church, we support a lot of different ministries, ministries and missions and individuals. And and you know, uh, sometimes we we write those checks. We have no guarantee any of that money's coming in. I mean, we we look at the the checkbook and make sure we have the money so we don't bounce a check. But we just give by faith to support these other ministries. And uh, Pastor Joe and I were talking about it one time. It, it seems like the more we support in terms of missions and ministries, the more money God provides. Now, that's certainly true in my own personal life. We've experienced this, that, you know, the more we give, the more we have. That's a universal law, a spiritual law, that is true for each and every one of us. And the Bible says it over and over again. Whatever so, a man sows, that also shall he reap. It's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So the Bible teaches this truth, so it doesn't surprise me to know that those who are generous will be blessed. But notice, he he shares his food with the poor. The idea of generosity here is giving to those in need. And uh, I'll just use as a testimony recently, we were made aware of a family, and I mentioned this, I believe it was on a Sunday morning. Uh, We were made aware of a family that was, you know, Rent went up, things were tough, school was starting, and they just needed a little, a little help to get over the finish line of the summer. And, uh, you know, nice family, a father, a mother, three kids. I got to meet all but the dad, because I think he was working. Uh, but as I spoke to them, I found out that they had some needs. The, the grandma kind of let me know. And, and I brought them to the congregation. I said, listen, there's some needs. And as some of you guys are, are you're here tonight who were a part of that. And, you know, we were able to bless this family in a wonderful way. School supplies, uniforms, uh, food, you know, shopping, food shopping. And, you know, it just, it, it just got them over the edge so that they could not have to sweat it out. You know what I mean? And they were blessed and they were grateful, incredibly grateful. So if you were part of that, just know that the family was incredibly grateful. But, you know... Obviously, they didn't have the resources they needed, and God provided them through you, through us, as a church and individuals who got involved in meeting those needs. So sharing what you have with those who are less fortunate than you, I wouldn't be surprised if I gave each and every person who was involved directly with that an opportunity to share their testimony. If they didn't have an experience in the weeks following their giving where they had an abundance. I know that's always happened to me. But even, even if they didn't, you're still blessed because you were able to be the hands of Jesus. Amen? Verse 10, drive out a, the mocker, and out goes the strife, the quarrels, and the insults are ended. Now, this is interesting. It's basically saying if you get rid of the problem, the problem's solved. 
I often think about churches that have people that cause problems. I'm so glad to say we're not one of those churches. I really, I've been a Christian at two churches. A church in New York where I was an assistant pastor for the last 12 of the 17 years I was there, and here as the founding pastor, the senior pastor. And it is very, very rarely that I've had to even think about something like this. But sometimes you have somebody that's just causing problems. A mocker is somebody that makes fun of people but also causes problems. because they're, they're troublemakers. And if you get rid of them, <laughs> you know, out goes the strife, the quarrels, and the insults are ended. There are times when you have to say to someone, listen, we'd love for you to stay, and we'd love for you to stop. But if you don't stop, you can't stay. How about that? That's called Italian bluntness. Verse 11. He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend. Now look at that. Now, not all kings are good, but the idea is here you have a a king that respects. The leader respects this person. Why? Because they have a pure heart. That is, they are who they say they are. They desire to do good and bless people. And the things they say are very gracious, very loving. He will have the king for his friend. That is, he'll, he'll be held in high esteem. We're back to that first proverb we read. Here's another one. Verse 12, the eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge. That is, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, all there is to know. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, but he frustrates the words of the unfaithful. So those who are faithful will be blessed with the knowledge of the Lord and and, and knowledge in life. But notice, the best description of an unfaithful person, that is a person who is unfaithful to God and to others, is frustrated. You know anybody that's frustrated? I mean, we all get frustrated. I was stuck in traffic today on trying to get to Hawthorne Christian Academy to do the morning chapel service. And I, fortunately, I had enough time. But I got on 21, and, and there I sat in the construction. I think you guys who travel through Patterson know what I'm talking about, right? I was frustrated. We all have moments of frustration, but that's not what we're talking about here. God frustrates the words of the unfaithful. People who don't serve God, my observation in life is they're very frustrated. Have you noticed? They come into work <sighs> in a huff. Sometimes I'm, I'm at the supermarket and I'm online, right? And I'm waiting. The person in front, first they decide to pay with credit card, and then it doesn't work. Then they try another card and it doesn't work. And then they take out a check. And at about that point, the person behind me goes, <sighs> That's going to make it all happen that much quicker. You know, that, that huff is definitely going to help the person trying to get their check out of, you know. I've noticed that people who are like that, they're frustrated. Everything in life, is they're frustrated all the time. There's never a moment where they're not. Of course. Because God frustrates the plans and the words of those that will not serve him. Why does he do that? So they will. So they will. They'll look over at you. There you are sitting at your desk with a big smile, and hopefully they don't throw something at you. And maybe one day they say, hey, Mark, Rachel, what is it? Why are you always happy? I'm, I'm always angry when I'm here, and you're happy. And then maybe they'll have the opportunity to hear the hope that you have in your life. Let's go on. 
I like this one. This is good. These are all good. This whole chapter is really good. Uh, Verse 13, the sluggard, that's the lazy person. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside or I will be murdered in the streets. This is the lazy person making ridiculous excuses for why they can't go to work. That's what's being said here. Well, why can't you work? Well, uh, uh, there's a lion outside. Well, you might want to use that in maybe Africa. But although in California they've had those cougars, those, those mountain lions come down a lot, maybe you could use it there. They have a lot of excuses in California now that I think about it for why they don't want to work. I'll be murdered in the streets. Well, that kind of backfires because now you've got all these homeless people murdering people in the streets. You know, there's always an excuse for why someone can't get a job and work. But there's never a good one. Now, granted, if someone is disabled, or someone, you know, they're blind, or they have a handicap or something, of course, that's not what we're talking about. If you're perfectly healthy, and you choose not to work, and you wonder why, look in the mirror. Sadly, we live in a country that continues to enable people to be sluggards. I don't understand it. I really don't. There was a time when I was looking for a job as a kid, man, I would have loved, I would have given anything to work at the Burger King. Seriously, it was within walking distance. I tried the supermarket, forget about it. You had to know somebody. I thought, the Burger King, right? The Burger King. Couldn't get a job. Nowadays, they can't find people to work in Burger King. They don't even care if you can speak English. Obviously, if you've been to a Burger King, you know that's true. They just want anyone who will show up and help. Restaurants, help wanted. Everywhere you go. Why is that? Tell me why that is. Why is that? Well, because there's all these excuses that people make for why they are afraid to go out and get a job. And that is one of my favorite proverbs. So we'll move on. Verse 14. The mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit, and he who is under the Lord's wrath will fall into it. Now, the person who's under the Lord's wrath is the sinner, the person that lives their life contrary to the word of God. But notice the mouth of an adulteress, the thing she says, her her flirtations. uh, It's a deep pit. It's, It's designed to draw you in. Now, if you were to fall into a deep pit and you were stuck, you would understand the the impact and the meaning of this proverb. If that ever happened to you, if you ever fell into a pit or or, or was unable to climb out of something when you fell in, you would understand this. But I want you to apply that analogy to what what it would be like to be involved in a relationship outside of marriage, in an adulterous relationship. That's a perfect description. It's like falling into a deep pit, not being able to get out. Does that sound like a pleasant experience? Because it isn't. But notice, many people in our world today fall into this type of a pit, many different types of pits, and they actually find themselves trapped. And it's because, well, the Lord's wrath is against them because they aren't living according to God's word. Back to our theme, they don't see things for how they really are. They get involved in things that they think look good, or maybe Hollywood promotes, but at the end of the day, are horrible experiences. Ask anybody, and I, hope you, I really hope you have no one to ask this question to, but ask anyone who has gotten involved in a relationship outside of their marriage, and as a result, gotten a divorce, and are, you know, 
their, their life is in upheaval, ask them if it was worth it. Ask them, was falling into that pit, was that worth it? Did it turn out okay with you? I've never met anybody that said yes. Just something to think about. All right. Well, this is one for parents. Verse 15, folly or foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. My dad definitely endorsed this proverb. Whether he knew it by heart or not, I lived it. Let me explain that the rod of discipline is not beating someone with a baseball bat. The rod of discipline is like what we had, the Board of Education. Every home in the 70s had that little thing in their kitchen or in the den. It was like the Board of Education. had these little dogs in the doghouse, and each one of them represented someone in the family. But then hanging next to it was this little paddle. And you couldn't kill anybody with this paddle, but you feared the paddle and what it meant. It was the Board of Education applied to the seat of understanding. There's nothing wrong, if you need to, with approaching discipline in a physical way with your children within reason, and especially when they're young. Sometimes it's the only way they learn. And there's nothing wrong with not having to do that either. If you happen to be blessed with children you never have to do that with, go praise God. But if you need to and you don't, that's between you and the Lord and the rest of us who have to watch your unruly kids. No, just kidding. <laughs> so just, just keep that in mind. Foolishness, notice, it's bound up in the heart of a child. Children do some pretty crazy, foolish things. I remember when I was a kid one time, I just I had this urge to pick up a screwdriver and stick it in the light socket. There was a whiff of smoke. Fortunately, the... Uh, Screwdriver had a, a rubber handle or a plastic handle. The lights went out. And the next thing I knew, the rod of discipline was applied to my seat of understanding. <laughs> and I've never done it again. It'll drive it far from him, that foolishness. Verse 16, he who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth, and he who gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. So notice the motivation. You oppress the poor uh, you, you give bribes. It's all about you. It's all about you. And you'll come to nothing and to poverty. Okay, we have a bunch of the sayings of the wise. These go pretty quickly uh, to finish out this chapter. The sayings of the wise from 17 to 29 are this. And we'll start by uh, just uh, looking at the first couple ones here. I guess it's 17 through 21. Yes, 17 through 21. Air conditioner is fighting me here. Okay. This is an encouragement to listen to wisdom and to trust in the Lord. It also has to do with good business decisions, this section. This is all about wisdom for your business. Now, making good and godly business decisions will ultimately lead to seeing how things really are and being able to live a life that's, that's uh, pleasing to God. And notice this. Here's the encouragement, verse 17. Pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I teach you today, even you, have I not written 30 sayings, that's an idiom, many, many sayings, have I not written 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel and knowledge, teaching you true and reliable words so that you can give sound answers to him who sent you? So, all of this has to do 
with applying the things we've already talked about. And this is an encouragement to do so. Now we get to verses 22 through 23. And this has to do with not taking advantage of others less fortunate than yourself. Notice, do not exploit the poor because they are poor. And do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. God's on the side of the the disadvantaged and the poor. That's what we're learning here. And listen, those with less financial resources are at a severe disadvantage in the court system. I think you know that, right? The two-tier justice system. Ultimately, the Lord will judge each case correctly. But here's an encouragement to do the right thing and not take advantage of someone just because you can outspend them. We're also told not to spend time with those that have explosive tempers. Look at verses 24 through 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. This gets back to, you know, bad company corrupts good morals. The idea that you spend time with someone who is a hothead, pretty soon you're going to react the same way. We're also told not to endanger our wealth or our possessions by taking financial risks. Financial risks are necessary sometimes, but in general, here's a principle. Uh, Never invest what you can't afford to lose, and never invest on margin or purchase on credit. Here's what we read. That's the principle, but look what it says in verse 26. Do not be a man who strikes hands in a pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. I mean, of all the pieces of furniture you need, right? Your bed so you can sleep at night. And all of that can be taken away from you if you buy on time, buy on credit, invest in things, and, and you know, oh, I, have to, I definitely have to make money on this investment or I'm going to have to sell the house. You, why would you do that? You have to be careful in making or taking financial risks. Verse 28, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Now, this has to do with real estate. You see, you shouldn't act unethically in managing your real estate assets. They were told, the Jews were told in Deuteronomy 19.14, they were told this, not to move the boundary stones. That would be like you moving your property line in the direction of your neighbor. You're stealing his property. So they would set up boundary stones to say, well, this is where my field ends. If you move it, that's, that, that's like a really, really horrible thing to do. You're stealing from someone. You're taking their land. So never act in this way, as it says in verse 28, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Finally, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings, and he will not serve before obscure men. Achieve prosperity in your life and notoriety, but do it the old-fashioned way. Earn it. Earn it. You want to be successful? Earn it. Be skillful. Take the time. Be good at what you do. Get the education you need. Apply yourself. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't move boundary stones. Don't do these things. That's that's the the shortcut. There are no shortcuts in life, right? Hard work. The, The whole section we read tonight has to do with a lot of the business issues and life and work. I think if we apply these things, we'll be blessed. I know we will. Remember that our reputation is most valuable to us. We all stand equal before God. And using wisdom brings blessing. Being foolish brings suffering. We have a responsibility to those around us. And we can choose to bring blessings or curses through our lives. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wisdom you've given to us. 
We're grateful because we can apply it so easily, because it's so practical in so many ways, whether it be business, life, whether it be parenting, all of the things we've talked about, I'm sure each and every one of us can apply something we've read tonight to our lives and to be blessed as a result. Lord, the most important thing we can do, the the wisest thing we can do is give our lives to you, to recognize that you came, you sent your son who came and died on the cross for our sins. He rose again on the third day and he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf at the throne of God that he saved us. Jesus made it possible for us to have a relationship with you for all eternity. And He's coming again to judge the living and the dead, and we'll be judged righteously if we give our hearts to you. That's the wisest thing we can do. And with that, we learn from your word other wise things we can do, but the most important thing, the crucial thing, is that we must give our hearts to you, that we might be blessed. Oh, Lord, help us to make that decision, but also all these other decisions. As you lead us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.